Before I hand you over to Nick, a quick apology. We recorded this episode a few months ago and we didn't realize there were some major audio issues with the mix, some distortion, etc. until much later. By then it was too late to re-record things. Um, so we decided that done is better than perfect, which is why my audio is a bit distorted and there's quite a lot of background noise in other people's because we didn't have the same separate tracks we would usually have used. Hope this doesn't get in the way of you enjoying it too much and we'll be back to normal with the next episode. Right then, Nick? We've listened to the Sugar Cubes. We've listened to the massive tunes Björk seemed to churn out effortlessly throughout the 90s. Today we enter the final stretch, which mostly seems to involve drifting through the ice flows of Björk's subconscious, accompanied by field recordings, guttural beats and tiny bells. Undertaking such journeys is the temporary fandom's remit, and with this podcast, you can travel with us. We dive into complete discographies, listening exclusively to the work and evolution of a single artist. You'll find this and all our previous episodes at tempfans.com, or wherever you usually get your podcasts. In the show notes, there's a Spotify link that takes you to a special playlist edit of the show that cuts the music we're listening to into the podcast. So, if you haven't tried that yet, I strongly recommend it. You can also find over a thousand like-minded listeners in our Facebook group, but we're never so like-minded that the conversation gets dull. Well, that's what I like to think. Decide for yourself as we embark on the final instalment of our journey through the complete discography of Björk. Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms. Um, we are, well, I say knee-deep in the career of Björk. Um, if this is your first episode, stop, go back, and go back one more and catch the sugar cubes. And in the last episode, we talked about Björk's, I don't know, um, 90s, I guess, um, what some consider to be her, her breakthrough uh, and for some, creative peak. Um, and now we're going to move on to later Björk. Or as Nick, Nick, as you described it. Artie Björk. Artie Björk, fresh from. Works if you kind of, you know, do the, them both together, right? What, so what was the last one? To Party Björk. Yes. Party Björk. <laughs> Party to Artie, but hopefully not Artie Farty. Um, with us, time. with us today, obviously there's Nick. Hello. Um, rejoining us for the first time this season, but definitely not the first time on the pod, pod favorite and pod regular Emily Baldoni. Hello. Hello, and Liam Maloney. Um, hey, Liam. Back again, yeah. Back again. Um, for those of if, if people who want a, a behind-the-scenes behind sort of thing, we haven't moved, basically. Some of us are just still still sitting here from like 20 minutes ago. Uh, quick wee. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we all are bluted. Um, I believe that's the word. If it's not, it works for me. Um, and we're going Somehow, to... Uh... Was it? Go on. I was just going to say also, and somehow how Jeffrey uh, uh, turned into to me. It's yeah. a quick change. <laughs> yeah. I'm, sitting, I'm sitting in the same seat that he was. But... <gasps> Meta! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Liam, 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 um, what albums are we doing today? So we left off with Vespertine in 2001, last episode. Um, this episode will bring us from that all the way up to disappointing date. Oh, is that too mean to say early on? <laughs> 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 I'm slightly showing my cards there. Spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, um, so we're going to come all the way up um, from Vespertine, or what happens after Vespertine, all the way up to date. So we're going to be dealing with her kind of really, there's hints of artiness in Vespertine, definitely, but then we get into medulla, medulla, however we're going to pronounce that, um, and the arty hits squarely round the chops. And then we have a bit of a maybe a hark back if we're going to continue this arty party thing we're maybe going to hark back to some of the party with Volta uh, a vault then... face if you like oh <laughs> <laughs> sorry please continue <laughs> hey hey I'm, I'm slightly happy because in between last episode and this episode uh, I, I saw uh, an Instagram post from a uh, guest on other pods, uh, Sharia Moore, who described me as buoyant. So I'm going with buoyant. <laughs> Liam, Liam, yes, so, please. So we're going to hit, um, yeah, hit Medulla, we're going to hit Volta, which is a bit of a party record, then we're back into deep art when it comes to Biophilia, which I can, I will rant about till the cows come home. Um, yeah. So just uh, just gird your loins in preparation for that, I'd say. <laughs> Girded. Um, Girded. And then we're going to get into Bjork's midlife crisis, probably, with Volnicura and Utopia, which is kind of a, a two-parter thing, arguably. Those two things sit really well together. I think they sit quite close in Bjork's mind as well and in what's going on in personal life. So, um, yeah, we're going to go all the way up from uh, Medulla to Utopia. Perfect. So, will it be utopic? <laughs> well, we will find out. Hopefully there's no spoilers giving away anybody's feelings. Um, <laughs> as you know, the next voice you are going to hear will be Liam talking us through what may not be his favourite set of albums. Uh, we'll find out, and we'll be back after this. Two thousand four rolls around, and Bjork releases Medulla Medulla Medulla. Basically, here we get a handful of tracks that make some sort of sense with the rest of Bjork's previous canon, like Desired Constellation. Who is it? Could be normal Bjork tracks. However, we get into quite a different, quite new and unusual soundscape that we've not really come across in any of Bjork's other work. We've got this kind of quite dense sol like sonic palette full of voices, and only voices for the most part. And kind of from maybe the first track, The Pleasure Is All Mine, we start to understand just how slightly leaden and a little bit unwieldy this sonic palette is. There are some great standout tracks on this, Who Is It?, Particularly the radio edit of that with all the bells is it's quite triumphant and quite uh, quite uplifting and quite beautiful. Oceana, again, a version was done with Kalis uh, for that. It's a great listen, but that in and of itself is a fun song and kind of takes you somewhere, takes you somewhere quite specific, i.e. underwater. And then maybe stuff like Mouth's Cradle or Triumph of the Heart are a little bit dancey occasionally. But songs like Ancestors and some of the ones that are written in Icelandic I, that I can't pronounce do feel incredibly, oh, quite, well, 
by the end of this record, it's starting to feel almost kind of Sisyphean. You're just lugging this brick of a record up a hill, and I don't know if the payoff is worth the effort, which is a shame to say. What is that coming over the hill after Medulla Medulla? Oh, it's it's a desperate attempt to be fun and make a singles record again. It is um, the perhaps rightly maligned Volta. Um, I think I hate Volta more than most other Bjork albums. It's not necessarily a bad record. There are moments of actually quite interesting real beauty in there, but it feels not just regressive, but it feels like quite a few steps back for us. It's, it's like a, an easy option for Bjork at this point. She's essentially reverted to making another post, something that was less conceptual and sonically rounded as her previous outputs. It's regressed to... Blah. Try that again. It's regressive, atavistic, unchallenging, and when you view it in the kind of context of her discography, sticks out as a particularly uninventive moment. But it's not a bad album. If anyone else had put this record out, or it had arrived much earlier in Bjork's career, I'd be first to applaud it as interesting and quite fun. Maybe if you don't take it in context and just listen to it as an album rather than a point in a kind of artistic trajectory, that offers perhaps a little bit more of a favourable view of the record. It's also a pretty front-loaded record. The first four tracks are kind of great, to be fair. Earth Intruders comes in setting a more kind of rabbit ears, air quotes, fun tone than anything we've had since post. Wonderlust, I think, is actually a really underrated track in Bjork's entire catalogue. Dull Flame of Desire is quite long and bloated, but sees uh, her duetting with Anoni of Anthony Lee Johnson's fame. And Innocence shows off where Timberland was in the time, just about to produce single ladies, and there's a weird amount of musical similarity between the two. It's not great, but it's worth noting. But then it gets in this quite kind of languid, self-indulgent territory where the brass that she's become obsessed with when she's been off doing Drawing Restraint 9 with her then-partner, Matthew Barney, starts to rear its head throughout the album, and not often in a pleasant way. Um, she also, potentially quite cynically, grabs Tumani Diabite. Um, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but great Cora player who couldn't have been trendier at the time um, for a track called Hope. Um, thankfully, though, we do get one stab of genius at the back end of this record when she closes with Declare Independence, which is this kind of squealing, shouting, thudding bit of industrial kind of dancey stuff that harks back to what was going on on Telegram actually um, about the Faroe Islands which is an odd choice and has kind of sparked some interesting um, protests in recent years when she played it at Tibet and uh, changed some lyrics to um, well, you can fill in your own blanks there but Volta it's um if this was Desert Island Disc, I'm not saving it from the waves. I could talk about 
biophilia for a good few hours realistically i could do an entire couple of episodes in fact you could do an entire series just on each track um i'm not going to do that i'm just going to give you a quick overview of the tracks that are worthy of note here there's stuff like moon which is based around the kind of lunar cycles and using lunar cycles to generate musical material there's tracks like thunderbolt which uses a tuned tesla coil literally playing lightning to express something there's tracks like Cosmogony, which is, I think, really, it's the, the meaning of this record you can kind of find in Cosmogony. It's about expressing the meaning of life and this kind of approach to transhumanism using, like, a couple of different creation myths. And she includes the Big Bang as one of those creation myths. So she's sort of smashing together this quite heavy, quite intricate and quite important content in a kind of musical format and presenting it in such a way that is hopefully quite thought-provoking, I think. There's other tracks like Crystalline, which is this kind of like shiny, bouncy thing that sounds like it's made from crystals, and it's all about the internal reflections within you know, spaces and within people. And it's about anxiety, and it's glorious, and then ends with this huge kind of celebratory, joyous breakbeat, this Amen Break that comes in at the end, and it's some of the best Amen Break programming I've ever heard on a record. It's great. And then we get into quite a, a heavy block of stuff like um, Dark Matter and Hollow and Virus that are all quite leaden, quite sinister, these kind of chugging beats, all these kind of chugging sequences that kind of just meander along. It's quite a difficult listen, some of these, but they do bear attention and they do reward effort I think and then we get up to Mutual Core which is perhaps I think my favourite single from the record really um, and I think you can kind of see everything that's going on in this record in Mutual Core you can see this metaphor for tectonic plates and relationships and how when these things smash together you get these volatile reactions the music video for that ends up as being like Bjork being buried by sand and rocks and then emerging from a huge volcano as like this version of Vishnu it's it's just absolutely mind-bogglingly complex organs are playing uh, the strata of certain rock formations it's this kind of hugely cohesive well thought out almost perfectly thought out approach to composition and it's this kind of multi-dimensional way of doing things so what you hear musically is reflected vocally is reflected compositionally and conceptually and everything has been thought about and everything links together it also helps that some of these tracks are absolute bangers <laughs> Cura is unlistenable. <laughs> that's a great way to start this. I suppose that's going to sell you all. Um, but honestly, I, I find it absolutely dreadful to listen to. There's like Stone Milker and Lion Song with the singles for this, and they're just about listenable. However, the whole record just drags along. It's this kind of texture and these kind of sounds that are coming from people like the Hacks and Cloak and from Arca and they're quite unpleasant to listen to it's if you can hum any tracks from this record I'll give you a fiver 
there is just nothing to recommend it and you know we get into tracks like black lake black lake coming in at 10 minutes of bjork just ranting and i love her dearly but this is such a swing and a miss you know there's a, an interesting moment in black lake about i think it's six minutes in where you get a kick drum for a few minutes and then it disappears again and that's about her only concession to any fun or joy on this record the rest of it is just this quite dense block of strings and angry bjork and there is so little i can say in its defense there are no tracks i would recommend such a shame When Utopia dropped, I was expecting real fun and intrigue. She was still working with Arca, who we shall blame at least half of Vulnicura on. But together, Bjork and Arca released the first single, which was called The Gate. And it was this very strange bit of music that kind of grabs all these weird strings and these squeaks feels like it is going to erupt into something and the hope was with this record that that eruption would be the rest of the record you know that the gate would maybe be the opening track and then it would explode into this weird and wonderful kaleidoscopic set of strings and synths and drums even with Archronic there were things that Arca could have done that would have made this really joyous However, instead, it's kind of like they've taken Volnicura and put it in a major key. It still doesn't feel like any sort of fun or joy is in this record. It's not anything that you could compare to Volta or Post or Homogenic or Debut. There's no joy in there. Conceptually, it's also really self-indulgent. It doesn't have the kind of majesty and mystery of something like Biophilia or Vespertine. It's just this 71 and a half minutes trek through Bjork trying to say she's happy. And there is nothing in there that really recommends this record. Unfortunately, I feel like this is such a damp squib. It's such a disappointing place to end on such a fascinating journey and yet we end up at this record and you kind of just look at this thing you hear this thing you just question what do i do with this what's the point of this this doesn't tell me anything this doesn't bring anything it doesn't even make me nod my head where is the where is Bjork, where is Fun Bjork, where is Artie Bjork, here it's turned into Bjork if she was a 14 year old writing poetry about how horny she is. Disappointing. See me. Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms. You have been listening to Leah Maloney talk you through the, and bring you up to date with the work of Bjork, 
I really like how those, those run. The work of Bjerk. It's, it's nice. It fits. Um, and with us today, obviously, there's Nick. Hello. Uh, Emily Baldoni. Hello. And the aforementioned Liam Maloney. Hello. Hello. Um, so let's get cracking. Um, we ended the last pod with Vespertine, um, described by one of the panel as a perfect album, but you'll have to listen to that episode to find out who it was. Oh, spoilers. Um, and we're moving on to Medulla. Um, before I go over to you, Liam, to get this, the scene setting, I mean, because obviously she does something different with this, and that's basically replacing a lot of instrumentation with, with vocals. Um, where is the line, which is pretty early on, where is the line, bit of Mike Patton in the background, um, I got a horrific sense of just bugging. If you remember, that's what popped into my head as these vocals started banging around in the background. And I'm not sure it was her intention. Um, how long have we been since Vespertine? How did this one come about? Why did she go into this, this down this direction? So, like, quite a lot has happened in this little gap, actually. So, Vespertine drops in 2001. And Medulla dropped 2004, so there's only three years between them. But in that time, quite a significant amount of stuff happened. She's had this incredibly successful tour for Vespertine. It's had incredible reviews. It, it sold incredibly well. She's had a kid. I think she's got married in the interim. I can't remember if she actually got married, but she's very much deeply partnered with uh, Matthew Barney, a chap who will um, definitely become the villain of the piece, I think, um, as time progresses. And she's kind of immersed herself really heavily into kind of Matthew Barney's art world at that point, you know, making a long-winded, pretentious, am I allowed to say wank in this? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, long-winded, pretentious wank. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like how you yeah, briefly uh, thought we were Radio 4. I mean, like, you weren't allowed to. I just felt like you had to check. <laughs> um, but, like, she's been engaging with, like, video art, and she's about to um, do stuff with Matthew Barney. She's about to be in a film called Drawing Restraint 9, which is about... 72 hours long and she doesn't say a word in it and has a bath with some oranges it's weird um but it's like it's feeding into bjork bjork's arguably and you know as a as a paid up fangirl like it's feeding into bjork's most pretentious leanings and it starts to come out in medulla i think here when she scraps instrumentation um and basically gets anyone whose voice she kind of likes onto a record to make an album of voices. It was Meltiment's so, album, so, on it, I found out the other day. I was going to say, who else Who else did we have? We had, obviously, Mike Patton of, of the Faith No Mores. Um, who else was in there that, that of note? Um, Razel um, is on the classic beatboxer. Shlomo as well. Um, I think he's on there. Uh, Robert Wyatt is on there. No, well. Stashed in the mix. Um, Mark Bell is back doing a bit of work, as is Matt Moss. Um, Inuit throat singers, uh, an Icelandic choir again, and a London choir. Just a, a huge amount of kind of people who go and make <laughs> various <laughs> textures with their faces. So the description of all of this is that this album doesn't work or shouldn't work. I mean, this should be the sort of thing you listen to and go, aha, as you stroke your chin uh, while you're in a gallery listening to all these various things. Um, However, it's really good. I think this is really good. I mean, we've got some 
almost debut-esque wide-eyed uh, simplicity in there with all this sort of vocal harmonies and, and overlaying. Um, I can't read my handwriting. Lean in moment. Um, there's some really just some great stuff. Who is it? Um, just brilliant. I mean, it, it's a great album. It's I, because I was homogenic and then dropped down to Vespertine, I sort of took a, a bit back up with this one. Uh, I thought this was interesting again in a pretentiously wank, but enjoyably pretentiously wank uh, kind of way. Um, I'm, I'm desperately wondering who to ask this next question to so we don't get cancelled. I'll do it to Nick. Nick, do you like pretentiously okay. wank? <laughs> I love pretentious wank. You know me. <laughs> it's my favourite kind of wank, you and. <laughs> <sighs> Nick, uh, how did you find of, of of this one? Was this was this your sort of? Um, it's 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 okay. I mean, I like it, but um, it's not it's it's not among my favourites. I think it's more it's just interesting because of the experimental nature of it. Um, I'm not sure how she did it live, but I'm sure it must have been quite an experience to see how she did this live. Was that a thing? Was there a tour based around Medulla with? I don't think she toured on Medulla. Uh, correct no, me if I'm wrong with that. I, I think that she, so I, I have seen her perform some of the songs from Medulla on the, I think on the, the next tour, on the Volta tour, she did right. a bunch of them. And, but she, it's just totally different arrangements, like, because it's, it's really hard to do the all vocal stuff live. So it's just a totally different, it's the same songs, but totally different arrangement. There's much bigger yeah. sound. Well, what I find with a lot of the records, sorry, from here on in, um, not not totally, because I think as you mentioned already, Volta's a slight sort of sidestep, but they're, they're all kind of like, yeah, they're like autistic experiences and that only occasionally do you get, or I find that occasionally you get songs that stand out, but they're, sort of, they're very cerebral and there's, you know, they kind of work, but I'm probably not going to go back to them a lot. Let's put it that way. Just to sort of dial up, where the kind of pretension goes to on this record. No, she didn't tour it, but she did make it into an opera. Of course she did. That I didn't know a... that. Yeah, I think it was in, was it Australia or Belgium or something like that? It was in Brussels. Two, two, yeah. two totally different countries, Australia or I, Belgium. I, was, I, had, I had the opera house <laughs> thing in my head with the... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, she, so she basically turned, I mean, what was it like... Frog chorus, the opera. Um, in my head, that that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, Emily, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, obviously, you're aware of the work of Sir Paul McCartney. Uh, I'm not sure whether or not his seminal his seminal work, Frog Chorus, um, ever made it over stateside. But there was a lot of boom, 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 uh, and sort of vocal stylings on that. Um, don't check it out. It's an abhorrent <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> I don't know that one, but now I've wow. got some very vivid um, if, images. If, if people want the idea of hell, while I was, when I was about, I don't know, 14, I went to like a, a friend's birthday party. And it was like one of those things where like his mum was still in the house. We were in the garage. At some point, someone poured and accidentally poured a bottle of two litre 1% shandy over one of the records. So his mum came down and took all the records away. And we were left with one record for the next hour, which was the seven inch of the fraud chorus by, by Paul McCartney, which got played repeatedly. I'm <laughs> starting to understand <laughs> I was going to say, I was starting to understand your trauma around Tego Mago now. <laughs> I didn't mention it. You mentioned it. You mentioned it. Um, I was starting to worry that you wouldn't. <laughs> um, Emily, um, so how, how is this to you? Is it veering into pretension or is 
Um, I'm aware that um, you may have watched all the live DVDs um, to, to prepare yourself for this. I mean, is this a sort of, oh, where, where's, where's Bjork going? I, I Honestly, I find this album really difficult. And um, the first time I listened to it, I absolutely hated Medulla. Um, and I actually kind of hated it the first, I would say like five times <laughs> that I listened to it. I, I really think, um, I think actually watching some of the songs being performed live on the, the the recording of the Volta tour kind of opened it up to me in a little bit because I think like the songwriting is actually really good on this album on Medulla but I I really I still really struggle with a lot of the like the way that it's arranged um in terms of like all the various kind of guttural noises and that what is it there's the track on like the second half of the album um was it Ancestors that has the really prominent like the Sounds it almost sounds like somebody like hyperventilating or something singing. like that. Inuit yeah. throat singing, yeah. I, I just I, some of this. I, I think it's very. I think it's interesting, and there are parts of it where I'm like, oh, I actually I can appreciate like some of these. Like, there's some cool harmonies here and cool things going on, but I, I find it kind of claustrophobic in a lot of ways. So it's not, I've, I've gotten to appreciate it more, but it's, it's not one of my favorites. Um, funny you should mention Ancestors. Um, mentioned in the last episode that I sort of reached out to some of the Björk community on Reddit and Ancestors and asked underrated songs and Ancestors came up a couple of times. Uh, that okay. was people sort of like, oh yeah, it's a great song. Just nobody else likes it. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of really standout tracks on this record though, I think. Yeah. Like, the, there's a lot of stuff that seems to fall by the wayside. The stuff, particularly the stuff that I can't pronounce, is the stuff I don't remember. And that's, <laughs> that's not to be horribly jingoistic or something, but I don't remember what that stuff is. But um, I think Desired Constellation is actually really yeah. quite beautiful in there. Um, uh, but the, the weird thing is so, two of the big tracks, which is Who Is It and Oceania, those two. Um, when they got single releases, they were like reworked. So, who is it? Is covered in like these beautiful like bell chimes, and it's really kind of gorgeous. And then they did a version of uh, she did a version of Oceania with Khalees duetting on it as well. And yeah, so there's kind of stuff where she's broken her own internal rules for this thing. How it's supposed to be only vocals, and she's dragging in bits of like hip hop and kind of other instrumentation. Yeah, it's it's an oddity, this record. So why not do that in the album? Or is this going back to her remixing thing, and now she's giving us the weird version and then remixing it almost into a more palatable, I guess, version? I, I honestly couldn't tell you. We don't really get much in terms of remixes out of this record. Um, she's She falls really far down a rabbit hole here. I remember listening to her DJ on Radio 1, in 2004 when this thing came out, um, and the quote-unquote DJ. Um, <laughs> but she played just tons of, like, uh, um, typically American vocal, like, art music. So, like, Laurie Anderson, bits of, like, Meredith Monk, like, just purely vocal. It was bizarre. And I, I feel like she falls too far down the rabbit hole on this. There's little beautiful moments, but I, yeah, it's... it's I mean, in some ways, I kind of think of this album, too, as, like, I, it's so different from Vespertine in many ways, but there are things about it that, to my mind, are similar. Like, I kind of think of it as, like, the like the evil twin of Vespertine, because they're both kind, they're both very internal 
in a way, you know, um, and they're all kinds of like the little, the little sounds, right? The little textures, whether those are being made by, you know, with vocals or what, you know, other microbeats, et cetera, on, on Vespertine. But whereas on Vespertine, it's, it's just so like light and, and kind of airy and gauzy, like Mandula is so heavy in a way. Um, like that first track, um, The Pleasure is All Mine, is that what it's called? Um, like it's almost what I think of, it's like if, if Bjork was a character in a Marvel movie or something, this is like the scene in which she turns into a supervillain. You know? I want to see <laughs> that. <laughs> it, would be good. it would be good, wouldn't it? It would be great. <laughs> I like it. I like that track a lot, but it's, it's just, um, yeah, this album makes me uncomfortable, but I do think it's, it's interesting. I, actually, Emily, I mean, you said earlier um, you didn't like it the first five times you listened to it, more or less. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I don't know about you. If I have a listen, liked an album after about the fourth listen, like actively disliked, not just I haven't got it yet, I, pro- <laughs> I mean, I'm probably not going back to it, right? Does it depend if you bought it? If I bought an album, I'll keep going. I think I'm going to like this fucking thing because I paid money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also just because you know I, I mean like i like I mean, i'm a fan of bjork so like you know sometimes you have, you have goodwill towards a, an artist even if you, you don't you actively dislike something at first then i like but she's could be doing something like maybe if i just and actually with a lot of these later albums of hers um like everything post vespertine basically I, most of them i didn't love them when i first heard them but but some of them more than others but they've kind of grown on me over time I mean, fair play to you. I mean, I said on a previous pod that, um, that I mean, the last Spoon album, and I love Spoon. You, 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 you were on the pod, Emily, and the last album, the last track. I listened to it once and went, nope, and I deleted it from my. Mi- and now the album's nine tracks long, and it's brilliant. And I'm never going back to it because the feeling of no, no absolutely not. That saxophone, no, 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 pan pipes gone. No, no, fuck that. Um, <laughs> all right, so. We had Medulla, which I think it sort of follows a thread. We had the ASMR stuff maybe in, in Vespertine or whatnot, and then we sort of had this sort of gutter on all the different sounds, and she's definitely going in, going from creating something new that is accessible to art and also maybe Björk as idea of, of, what, of, of a Björk rather than Björk as performer, right? I mean, she's now she's now transcending into something bigger than the actual output she's doing, um, and then we move on and we get, and like so back in the nineties, she worked with a lot of dance producers, uh, the famous ones at the time, and obviously moving on, we've got Timberland turn up in Volta um, for what is essentially her I don't know, edgy pop, I guess album. It's it's her attempt to recapture the glory of post, I think. After she releases Vespertine, which is, you know, there's some songs on there that you can hum at least. And then we get into Medulla, which is challenging. She think she seems to kind of revert back to some kind of pop sensibilities or or a kind of malformed version of her original pop sensibilities. Um, when she releases Volta in two thousand seven. Um can we can we talk about album covers yet? Oh, absolutely. We we have often talked about album covers on various episodes in the past, from some of the some of the diabolical ESG Microsoft Paint things um, to the to the slightly uncomfortable Number Girl ones. No, no, knock yourself out. I hate the cover of Volta. 
I find it <laughs> vulgar. <laughs> it is. I, I mean, I do. Agree. It's like the first cover that, like all of the other covers to this point, are, are kind of cool uh, or like interesting in their way. But yeah, the, the I like Volta, but the cover is is kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's this weird kind of sculpture. This sort of and to be honest, if if the album cover represents what's in the record, I think it's probably quite a good cover. Like this kind of slightly, what is this thing that she's kind of thrown herself inside of this weird sculpture and Mark Knight's taking a photograph of her. But, but I just, I don't, I don't get it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm just like, the artwork was nominated for an award. It was a design award. Yeah. yeah. Um, between the German fashion design, I'm reading Wikipedia, obviously, uh, Bernhard Wilhelm <laughs> and Nick Knight, fashion photographer, photographer. And then, yeah, yeah. She, no, no. This, this, Red chicken outfit? No, no. You know what it looks like? It looks like she's got... It's the end of Christmas. She's gone into the box of Quality Street. There's no chocolate left. There's just the individual wrappers, the purple, the gold, the green. Uh, and she's just thrown them on herself. <laughs> With some very big feet. Very large feet. Oh, yeah. Like, cold. Yeah. It's like she's wearing the, the chicken costume from the uh, Richard Pryor, uh, Gene Wilder movie, Stir Crazy, and then covered herself in chocolate sweet wrappers. Just Nick at this point is thinking, why did I agree to do a podcast with you? And I mean, I'm, st- I'm stuck in. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I think, okay, basically, Declare Independence is the only song I care about. The rest of it, as far as I'm concerned, it was, was shit. On, oh, I think that's strong. harsh. On your Reddit troll, did anything oh. come up from this? Um... Uh, I'm, I'm now opening the phone that I put away. Uh, to, 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 probably there was something off Volter. Wonderlust, I think, is hugely underrated. I think it's actually quite a beautiful song. Yeah, I think that's a great track. I really like that one a lot too. Um, I'm having to double check the, the track listing. You carry on talking, uh, and we'll, we'll edit this out. Sorry, it sounds it sounds good, but um, at the moment I'm desperately trying to I'm desperately trying to work out which ones are on which albums because uh, you know I have no idea. Um, da, 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 no, not really. There's nothing. When I asked the people on Reddit what their most under, underrated tracks were, there's right. nothing really comes up from this one, to be honest. Um, there's a bunch from all the. There's pretty much everything from other albums, but this one is is woefully. Oh no no no! Pneumonia. That's the only oh. one. Right. Take a bit of that. How's it go? <laughs> it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> Is that really how it goes, Ewan? Is it really? No. <laughs> um, shoot, I can't get it into my head right now. I actually, I I made notes about liking pneumonia actually, but now because declare independence is now like what's running through my brain, and like it won't let any any other melody um, come in. That's my gift. I, I That's actually, my gift to you. Like, <laughs> I, I like a lot of this album. I don't think it's perfect. And, um, and I think, like, for example, that duet with Anthony, the whatever, the dull flame of desire is a real stinker. Um, is this when he was still, is this when he was still, well, when he was Anthony Hegarty? Yeah, they still were known as Anthony Hegarty then. Oh, no, this yeah. is my, This might be the first time they called themselves Anoni, actually. And, yeah, Anoni, yeah. Okay. This I, might I, be the first time. My timeline's a bit, and I don't want to sort of use yeah. incorrect names and terminology. I, I, I can't remember when. 
when the name change uh, seems to happen. Okay, look, I said worst so far on my notes. I mean, it's shit compared to her other stuff. Um, I don't know. I also, I think I just like it after... um it's a contrast, I guess. Again, I don't think it's 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 a little patchy to me, but just the previous couple of albums, I feel like she's becoming more and more serious. You know what I mean? She's so she's so serious, and this album is a little silly, which might be something that that one might not like about it. But I actually, I don't know. I kind of miss um, the playfulness from some of the earlier the early albums. You know, so does I mean, it- I don't. Does it not seem like she's doing playfulness by numbers now? Like she's forgotten how to be that playful Bjork and she's going, Oh, how did I do it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like she's yeah. trying to she's trying to be what she's not anymore. So this is, this I is that. So Sorry. is it Artie Bjork doing party Bjork, but forgetting how to do party Bjork? It's, just- it's yeah, it's Artie Piat it's Artie Piatti. Artie Piatti Bjork. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just a weird one. It's, it's. I'm trying to think of other people that did this, that moved on into a different creative space and then tried to come back and it never... Okay, my last episode, there was a lot of Radiohead talk, uh, mainly from me. Um, but then at some point in Radiohead's career, they became more than the guitar band they once were. And then they tried to go, oh, we got some guitars on this album. And you listen to it, and went, yeah, but th- this is not who you are anymore. You're, wait, 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 wait. Which, which, which album is this? Which album is the Radiohead uh, album with the guitars back again? Are you talking about Hail to Thief? Hail to the Thief. They tried to they tried to bring back a sort of guitar thing after Kid A, after Amnesiac, and it didn't. And it was almost like they were trying to recapture something they'd done I don't before. Know. See, I don't agree about that either. I actually, I actually kind of like Hail to the Thief too. But oh, I, I like Hail to the Thief. I don't. I don't know. Like, I feel like. Sometimes we want artists to have a kind of linear trajectory in terms of what they're kind of trying to do, and sometimes that's the case from album to album. But I don't, I don't know. I don't think that I don't think it has to be. Like I don't, I don't mind that this kind of doesn't fit well into um, a kind of a narrative about her growth as an artist or whatever over the last half of her career. It does like if she wants to do a kind of silly album, then it's fine with me. It's Tommy Ox and Razor. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> Something shit no one cares about. <laughs> well, no, which was the one he did with Flea? It's Atoms for Peace. That's what it is. <laughs> um, okay, so it, it's kind yeah. of hard to talk this record up. Like it's fine. Like I don't turn it off. Like Emily says, there's some really great stuff on it, but there's like cute little moments. Declare Independence is one of her best shouty songs ever but it was just mm. i don't know but i just can't i cannot bring myself to care enough it's like it's it's like goat's cheese i just don't care enough to engage with it <laughs> um try try having an issue with 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 dairy for a year um when i when i moved for some reason when i lived in the u.s i got a massive issue with cow milk and then when i moved to back to europe i i sort of couldn't really eat normal cheese for a while but goat cheese no issues with. So I spent an entire year eating goat's cheese. Um, I mean, it's not that I don't care. I'm only allowed to listen to Bjork's early material. Not, no, if I'm not allowed to listen. Yeah. Oh, this is a difficult metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay. After a while of only eating goat cheese, your body allows you to eat normal cheese again. So it was, it was fine. That's the best segue for this next record as well. Okay, let's go from edgy pop Timberland attempt to recapture something to um, an app you can find on the iTunes store, um, plus 
other things. Um, biophilia. Um, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I, I really struggled mainly because I just listened to the album. I didn't have the app. I didn't, you know, download a, a multiple, multi virtual reality experience. Um, it's impressive and it's no fun to listen to. Oh, oh. Liam. Couldn't be, couldn't be wronger. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what? Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of hyperbole anyway, but um, this is said without any hyperbole. The this record is in the top five pieces of music that have been released this century. It is really important, it's really significant, and it's the most clever bit of bloody work that anyone's ever done. I, I, I think it is a work of artistic genius. <sighs> that showed me why is that, Liam? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, Liam, I don't have to back up my statements, but guests have to back up their statements. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Biophilia, unlike, you know, she's done other stuff like Vespertine and Medulla that were a little bit kind of unusual, a bit arty, but this is legitimately a concept record in the truest form of, you know, our understanding of it. You know, this is Dark Side of the Moon. This is Bjork's Dark Side of the Moon. This is... Almost, this is better than War of the Worlds by Jeff Wayne, because that's the only other concept <laughs> album I can think of right now. <laughs> um, so the thing that I adore about this record, it's obviously this kind of thing that is obsessed with nature and expressing ideas to do with nature and science and belief music and kind of wrapping all of these things together into a set of artistic works that all resonate with one another. So you can look at the artwork, you can watch the documentary she did with David Attenborough, you can get the app, you can go see the incredible live show, you can do, you can engage with this record in all these different ways, and each way of engaging with this record reveals something new about this record. It's so nuanced and so layered, um, to the point where, you know, like, she literally made new instruments to be able to perform this thing. Um, and without, you know, rattling on for days and days and days. The most important thing about this record, the most interesting thing about this record is what she does is actively make the thing she is singing about into everything about this song. I'm going to go hard, arty wank now very quickly. Excellent. Does anybody speak German? <laughs> oh, Nick's our German oh. expert. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't speak German. And um, there's this word which is Gesamtkunstwerk or Gesamtkunstwerk, uh -huh. and it's basically this kind of like Wagnerian idea of total art. So everything that you do on a stage or you do on a record relates to everything about that record. And it's that level of greatness. The fact that, you know, she's singing about um, like uh, electrical forces and using that as a comparable for love and is literally playing a Tesla coil in tune with her song. Like everything in the music is everything about the music. And go for a lie down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do I have to listen to it again now? I mean, often after I, I have opinions people disagree with, I go back and I listen to it again. I go, Actually, it was all right. But I, I really tried. I, I, and I, I don't know, I just struggle, but mainly it's because I listen to everything back to back and I just listen to this as help. an album. You know, it the was like, live show is the thing that makes this make sense. Mm. And then you can kind of hear that in the record, I think. Um, 
Emily, um, how much of this content, I'm using the word content because this is her most content-y content, <laughs> how much of this content did you experience, did you see it live, did you buy the apps, the 10 different apps or whatever it was, did you... I didn't know. I didn't, when it came out, I actually, I didn't listen to it for a number of years after it came out, actually. So I was kind of totally unaware, actually, of, of the whole thing with like the simultaneous release of apps and, and things like that. And I, so I didn't, I didn't really, um, I didn't hear the album itself until several years later. And at first, when I first heard it, I, I was, I think, again, like a lot of these, these later albums, I wasn't that into it when I first heard it. But when I, listened to it a few times um i actually really i think this is my favorite of her like the second half of her career i agree with liam about this like i think the concept like the concept album thing can be a little pretentious but i, I don't really mind in this <laughs> in this case like i think it works really well and i think it's just it's really impressive again to, to liam's point the way that having sounds evoke uh like a abstract uh concept or uh, like a natural phenomenon like it's it's kind of it's amazingly inventive the way and effective the way that that she does that on this album um like on like crystalline where the little lines of that is a uh, gamelan or one of the one of the instruments that I think it's not quite a gamelan but something that she she tinkered with they almost have sort of like geometric sort of quality to them the way that they sound um or like um I really love I really love virus as well, um, which is such a creepy. It's such a good example of the way that like she makes songs on this album that are about some kind of natural phenomenon, but they're also these bizarre, sometimes kind of twisted metaphors for human relationships as well. Which like when you listen to the lyrics of virus, where she says something like, "Like a virus needs a body and soft tissue feeds on blood. Someday I will find you." Um, it's just like the craziest, like the creepiest um, opening for <laughs> what I think might be a love song. Um, <laughs> I think. Is, was, was, did you just sing me a love song or did you wish me ill? <laughs> <laughs> um, I did write, I'd like to point out, I did say very impressive, but when I was saying it, I, I, I appreciate it thing uh, but i just couldn't i i found it so difficult maybe that's just me like i said maybe it was just by at this point i was i'd gone straight from volta and i was i listened to this twice and then tried to move on to the next one it, it really found it difficult um nick uh when i messaged you the other day you were hung over and listening to this um <laughs> how did that work I don't know. I think I need to listen to it again and get back to you after everything I've just heard. But uh, <laughs> I think I'm finding that the, the, these kind of later Bjork records suffer from the way that we're trying to consume them for the for the show, basically, which is where you listen to them all back to back and try and form a hot take. Whereas these are these are clearly records that deserve time and and space and uh, maybe five listens. <laughs> to get there, I don't six, know. Six, but hate, 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 hate. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe. You see, but the thing is, the thing is, there are records where you can you can feel that that, that it is worth the time and the effort. And I don't. I, I I'll be honest. Um, my notes for Biofield do include the words "gets a bit dull," but I know that that's probably not fair. I just know that that, that was in the experience of just like you know, God, I've still got Volnicure and Utopia to go. You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's harsh. It does make it, it these... does it does make me want to see a live show of it. 
Oh, I think if I was sitting yeah, in yeah. a theatre and there was a multimedia performance by Björk of this, I think it could be uh, one of those moments in your life you look back and go, this was astounding. But I'd say that for all the records, even even, yeah. even Volta. <laughs> you know, I think that they would all be interesting to see live. I um, I got to see her premiere this at uh, Manchester International Festival a few years ago when it very first came out. Um, and that was the thing that like crystallized this bad pun, crystallized this thing into what I kind of understood it as this real heavy, deep work of art as opposed to just another record. The live performance just cranks up the intricacy of everything and gives you more, I think. Engaging with this album on kind of multiple levels really does bear fruit. Like there was um there's a track at the end of the record called Mutual Core, which is one of my faves on the record. <laughs> Um, and the way they perform it is Bjork's in the middle. She's surrounded by a choir that are all like crouched down on the floor. There's a ton of like um, projections and screens around that show you how a volcano erupts, like in a kind of technical diagram. And right. as the song progresses, the chorus kicks off the choir, making like louder and louder noises and slowly rising up. And then the chorus yeah. kicks off, this eruption happens, the screens explode into light. Choir goes running around and dancing. Bjork goes crazy. She turns into a giant model of Shiva on the screen. Like it's just oh, it's really cool. oh, yeah. things content. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, I mean, I feel that I may be wrong on this. I'm I'm still right about Tago Mago. I feel I may be wrong on this. One. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I may have to go and do a little bit more. I may have to get uh, some. Do I download some? But do you download DVDs now? I mean, I, I don't understand. Um, okay. So um, there was a slight precursor to this. Um, you know how in the beginning of a, uh, any, a lot of movies, you sort of have a, a foreboding that this character may come back and cast a shadow on later work. Moving on to, I mean, I've given up trying to pronounce things correctly, Volnikura. Um, Matthew but Barney, Barney, Matthew Barney comes. Well, I mean, there's the breakup. This is sort of a, an album about breakups and heartbreak in general, and more because it's Bjork. But this is what happened. Let's not. We don't want to go too much into. But what happened? So after Biophilia, after the kind of rave reviews it got, and after she released the remix series for it, which is delightfully called, and I'm, I'm really glad I've got a northern accent for this, which is delightfully called Bastards. <laughs> um, which does bear a good list actually that's the old Marcel that's really good and stuff like that and she does a little bit of kind of side work around that time with like Mount Wittenberg Hawker and stuff like that but um, at the end of Biophilia she does this interview where she says that like this is my way forward now this is the future the idea that I'm gonna build the technology and the instruments I'm gonna create new instruments and create whole new ways of engaging with music and performing music that express my songs, exactly what she's doing in Biophilia. She's like, that's what the next record's going to be, and it's going to be like the the emotional expansion, extension, and the theoretical or like conceptual advancement of what I'm doing in Biophilia. I heard this, I'm like, oh my God, I couldn't be more excited. And then her and Matthew Barney break up, and I can put it down in a sentence if you want it in a sentence. Go on. Sure. Um, she gets really angry, and as a consequence, we have to listen to her be really, really <laughs> angry for an hour. 
<laughs> and she produces a, another piece of artwork that makes the sick rise in my mouth. Oh, wow. In a good way? No. <laughs> Is it ever good? <laughs> what context? <laughs> Um, okay, if you're a cow, if you are a cow, you want some. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> not get was a great track. Was is a great track though. What is, is it? Not get. Oh God! I honestly, I I feel like I'm going to pass over to Emily now because I find this record unlistenably poor. <laughs> it's just Bjork shouting how much she wants some emotional respect for 58 minutes, and I can't um, get on board with that. I will say, before I go over to Emily, um, years ago, um, an ex-girlfriend, a girlfriend at the time, took me to this experimental theatre in in Eindhoven, and I watched what can only be described as I was sitting in the front row uh, as two Belgian women ringing bells and shouting in in Flemish, I'm an owl, for what seemed like 45 minutes. Um, Is it like that scene from Space? (laughs) Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what I was it's thinking of. Totally yeah. like that. Um, and except you're really trying to get out, but you can't get out. Um, there was a bit of that about it. Um, and and I have written, have we finally hit style over? Ang- sorry, have we finally hit angry style over uh, over angry substance? Um, yeah, there's some good stuff. There's some bad stuff. I don't think it's as bad as you, you make out, but you know, I like a breakup. Breakup album, <laughs> Emily. Um, we're deferring to you for some reason. Uh, <laughs> how, how well, we're hoping you're going to give like a blazing defence of Born the Cure. That's what we're hoping. Oh, I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to um, disappoint you. Oh, God <laughs> damn it! I mean, I just, I don't. Yeah, it's not. It, I, it's not my favorite Bjork album. I just, I find it very. Um, I mean, like a lot of great art has come out of pain um but i don't in this case there's not enough art to it you know what i mean like it just it just feels so much like kind of like unfiltered emoting and i just don't i don't know i don't i don't find it i don't find it that musically interesting for the most part although there are there are a couple of tracks that i like on there like um i do like not get which you mentioned you and i think is one of the is one of the standout tracks to me the ones that are a little more percussive and a little more up tempo where it's not the same just kind of i don't know slow dirge like repeated vocal expressions of of anguish <laughs> which i feel like a lot of the album is i also the other i think actually the one track that i is a really particular standout to me is lion song which i think comes like it's like the second album uh, the second song or something like that um because it kind of has an actual tune to it. It has a kind of like haunting quality and with their refrain where she says over and over again, like maybe he will come out of this loving me, et cetera. Like that's a song where I feel, I feel like it's a little more shaped. So it feels, I don't know. It just, it's, it's got a melody and there's, there's something a little more to it other than just like, like I am unhappy. Um, Are we being slightly unfair? In the fact that um, most artists who have a large body of work, particularly a critically acclaimed one, at some point they have a self-indulgent album. Now, some may argue that a lot of Bjork's work is self-indulgent, but she probably she does it for art more than 
herself, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, when other bands, when Blur released, when Damon Albarn was singing about Justine leaving him, everybody everybody went, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice piece of, of his soul. Surely we should allow Björk her angry breakup heartbreak album like we would yeah, allow but- other people. I mean, the thing is, the Blur album has actual, like, tunes to go along (laughs) with the heartbreak. And that's why I feel like there are no, there are so few kind of, um, like, memorable melodies on this. I feel like I'm being really harsh. (laughs) um, The thing that I struggle with, like, yeah, come on, Rumours, greatest breakup album of all time. Easy. Like, there's great breakup music out there, but this isn't, like, it's not a breakup record, I don't think. It's just... It feels really immature. That's my gripe with it. It's just really angry, really... It feels like it happened really quickly as well. It's like, oh, let's make an album in a week. I'm, I'm, I'm really annoyed. So when you say immature, I mean, okay. Um, so when I broke up with someone when I was 17... I listened to Pretty Hate Machine by Nine Inch Nails. And for me, that was the perfect breakup album of that time. Um, later on in life, it was Blur. Um, and the difference between the two of them is, I hate you, I hope you die. Oh, I hope you're with someone and you're quite happy. Just, you know, think of me sometimes. <laughs> and there's a difference of maturity and growing in that. So maybe you do have a point that this is just a sort of, maybe she needed, not needed, maybe a producer or a close friend should have got, wait a few months see how we feel (laughs) there is something in that as well this is the first point where she starts Mm -hmm. working with Arca Mm -hmm. and I find Arca kind of interesting not a huge fan of them but sort of interesting and I love Bjork but when they get together I think they kind of amplify each other's perhaps worst tendencies there's a there's kind of a creative kind of gravity that pulls them together but the stuff that comes out tends to be this quite heavily self-indulgent stuff. It's sort of like, say, with cinema, like at some point Spielberg and Tarantino became too big for a producer to tell them to stop the movie after an hour and a half, and then they just go on mm-hmm. for another... And you're like, really? Just that AI had a perfect ending, and then you tacked, and then there's another 45 minutes on the end of it? Come on, come on. <laughs> uh, Nick, um, how, how are you with um, this Barney about Barney? Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I can't follow that really. Well, yeah, it's just there really. I don't know. I didn't have any strong feelings for or against it. It was like I say, I was I was stuck deep in the kind of Bjork soundscape that went on forever. <laughs> I don't. But no, my mate, I have the least notes on this album of any. I think it just says more of the same wistful yearning. Dot dot dot. And I guess the dot, 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 I was hoping would imply much more profound thoughts. <laughs> but it's harder to c- communicate that when you're speaking. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Let's, let's ellipsis that moment and move on to, um, well, Utopia, which sort of brings us up to, well, not quite the present day. What year was Utopia? Uh, 2017. 2017. 2017. Yeah. So four years, probably due another album. Um, I mean. Only two. And Oni's back. No, um, Anoni was on um, Vomicura. Sorry, 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 yes. Um, yeah. I, I drew a line between the two albums and the line was in the wrong place. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Um, ethereal love pop songs, right? This is a ethereal love. This is a, it's a love album. We've gone from hate to sort of a Bjork 
Uh, floaty, 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 float. Yeah, this is the this is the one I've got the least notes on. Uh, <laughs> my notes are some glorious ethereal love songs, and then I thought it was stuff about Anony, but that was the album above. And then remember Reddit comments. I mean, that that's what I got from this. It sort of drifted past me, and I like a good floaty love song, you know. When my uh, notes say, has it really taken this long for a Bjork album to feature whale song? <laughs> <laughs> so what what kind of happens in in the gap there is she carries on working with Arca, um, and she describes Utopia as the heaven to Volnikura's hell. So it's like, and she also called it um, her Tinder album. So she's like back out in the world and uh, trying to get some. And the vagina has moved from her chest to her face. And, um, you look absolutely baffled, Ewan. <laughs> Is this the, the record sleeve or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The album okay. cover. yeah. No, I'm just yeah. so I was just trying to work out can I put that in the trailer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to say, but like, she's it's it kind of fits with the whole thing, though. You know, we're in love, we're in sex, we're in uh, betrayal, being jilted, all of that stuff. And so she's got like this very spiky um, black suit with the kind of is it, you know, uh, uh, sex organs? Is it a wound in her chest and a giant dandelion head? And then, you know, this new one, she appears with a flute and a face full of God knows what. Um, terrifying. Aesthetic album cover is terrifying for you. <laughs> it's better than Volta, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, and so that's where she is. She's hopefully over it. She's released The Gate, which was like a really interesting lead single for this. And gave me hope. Um, Emily? <laughs> I, I think I, there are a lot of um, like nice like moments and nice little like textural things here. I think my issue with this, it's, I mean, I suspect part of it is, is, is the production. Um, and that, that makes sense that she was, you know, working with some co-producer on this in the previous album. I just feel like there's like, um, I wanted the songs on Utopia to be a little bit more shaped, you know, like they just, I feel like they, they go on for a long time. There's a lot of long songs on the album. Um, and like, there will be little moments where, oh, that was kind of a cool little thing. Um, but it just seemed, it, there are a lot of tracks where it just feels like it never really coalesces into anything that makes sense mm-hmm. nothing ever really starts or finishes it all right. feels really kind exactly of, yeah it's all blurry and misshapen well unshapen i think yeah. mm-hmm. and it's bloody long 72 minutes yeah <laughs> you sounded like a proper northern dad then oh, 72 minutes <laughs> <Would be long>. <laughs> <laughs> Double gatefold, it's bloody long. But that's it. That's something we've had on here before on the pod um, when we were doing, and uh, I did a call back to it before, when we were talking about Yola Tango. Uh, we got to one of their most beloved albums and guest Jeffrey Lewis was like, sometimes the double album is where things go properly wrong. You know, it's like, we've got not, we don't have more quality, have more quantity. Uh, it doesn't make it better just by making it bigger. Um, particularly as I mean, I like we if we go back to when we're talking about Homogenic, which is one of the, the shortest albums. I could have had that as a longer album now, if that was a if there was another twenty minutes, another half an hour on that. I'd have been like brilliant, you know. I mean, uh, Joanna Newsom um, had one on me, which three triple vinyl, two hours. It's glorious from start to finish. Um, this is baggy, 
And yeah, I mean, by this point, I was sort of hope, I was really hoping there'd be something coming back, and maybe it was, maybe it was uh, 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 biophilia. I'd probably need to go back and listen to that. But for me, Medulla was the last one I properly wow. really enjoyed. Um, whereas in the last episode, most of it was like, yeah, this is this is great, or get into great, or I don't know. I really started to struggle with the tail end of this, and. Maybe it's maybe it is as Nick says the way we prepare. Some of us prepare for this pod. Um, Liam, oh, it is also the thing that Nick said about it being party arty. I don't. You kind of said it as a bit of a glib comment, but it's genius. She's so much fun and kind of interest, and then the and then the kind of seriousness takes over <laughs> very quickly, and you get glimpses of the fun stuff in Volta, but not really. Um, and so by the end of it, you kind of, it's this quite leaden body of work. You know, you've had a, a, over a decade of these quite serious, heavy records. You know, Bjork's angry. Bjork's got a concept. Bjork's found a, a random new thing she wants to try out. Bjork's trying to be pop, but she's forgotten how. It's kind of, it's, you're constantly like trying to dr- hopefully drag some joy out of it by the end, I think. And Utopia's just. But surely she's not done. No, I mean, new album coming soon, apparently. Is it? Is it? Do you know anything about it? Nope. It was written during lockdown. That's all I can tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, no idea who's working on it. Fingers crossed it's not Arca. And it doesn't become <laughs> yeah. a triple. Uh, yeah. Hopefully it goes back to being something interesting. And hopefully it's something fresh. That'd be amazing if it was something mm. entirely new. Well, I'd certainly never write her off. I mean, an artist of Burt's caliber, you, just, you can imagine she's going to go on for years and years. And she's going to do other really interesting stuff because she's always probably trying to reinvent what she does and experiment. I'd pay money to hear a fart down a walkie-talkie. Like I think she's, I think she's the bee's knee. <laughs> um, I mean, after this, I mean, she did do Country Creatures with the with Fever Ray, like the re, some remix stuff. It was like an EP, but that's the last last we've heard of her. I mean, to me, yeah. the closest you'd get to a Bjork would be the Knife of or Fever Ray. Really, I mean. There's obviously Scandinavian similarities, but in terms of concept music and performance art, I'd mm. say that you know they're definitely sort of stablemates on that sort of. Um, okay, I mean, at some point when you do three episodes about an artist, there's going to be a one episode that isn't necessarily as strong as the others or is more conflicted. Um, it's almost a shame that it is the conceptual art one that has more dissent although for some on the pod there were highs you know in the middle of here um for me the height came at the beginning of the episode for liam it was in the middle um i still think she's it's really this was this was the most difficult one of the pods to do mm. in terms of you know going through a body of work and having to sort of try and get opinions on things. I thought I knew Björk and then I realized I totally didn't know that there was whole tranches of stuff that I'd never got round to. Um, it w- there wasn't moments where I suddenly went, Oh, I hate this. I'm turning this off. It was just, I appreciate this is good. I really think this is, it's, you know, it's like um, Gra- gravity's rainbow or reading some Thomas Pynchon or something like that, or like Ulysses, like uh, if you're Irish, or like Mort Darth, you know, these sorts of really hard to read things. You go, I 
oh, this Pynchon, I know this paragraph is a work of art, but I had to start it four times and I've forgotten what happened on the last page. I've never, I've started Gravity's Rainbow five times, never finished it. <laughs> you got to go back to it once more. That's what Emily's proved. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One more time. <laughs> I mean, I do think like that that the you know just the immersion kind of format is 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 not kind to certain types of albums, and I I think like these, especially these late Bjork albums, I think are really tricky for that type of format or that style of listening. Because again, like you know, honestly, it's really only the, the last two albums that I am kind of dissatisfied with. For her, even like Medulla, which I find really difficult, like uh, has grown on me. And like, there are things that I think are really interesting about it. But I like, I wonder with the last two albums, is it just partially because those are the two that I've spent the least time with? Like if I, if I gave them a little more space and wasn't putting so much pressure on like, this is Bjork and I like Bjork. And so where, where's the thing that I like here? You know, um, if they would sort of expand, um, over now, time in a way that like especially like biophilia has for me whereas you know i think that might be it and like nick and i have had a chat like before about what could we do if we ever did bonus episodes for the patreon uh that were a slightly different format to the normal one and maybe there is something to at some point revisit albums that during the yeah, uh, yeah. immersion type preparation yeah. for for an episode maybe tag or mag or nick would be time to go back and have this sort of, okay, I've breathed a bit. Yeah. Let's take this as an album in situ rather than as an album in the I middle of the I would certainly be albums. happy to go back to any of these albums, spend more time with them. There's um, no, nothing I'd write off. Do you know what I mean? They, they're all yeah. they're all interesting. They're all, I think, worth revisiting. Volta. Uh, just not, Vol- all, Vol- just not Vol- all end-to-end. <laughs> For me, Volta was the one that I went, yeah, there's not much here of note the rest of it I, even the ones i did i found tricky but for me volta was the one i just went yeah i'm happy to not listen to that again um it's not it's she's trying yeah no um okay so we've done Bjork, and we've decided that maybe we need to come back and listen to some Bjork albums again uh six months down the line and possibly have a a, a revisit because of any artist she is if nothing else challenging and that can be positive and negative depending on and how you're coming coming to this um, and she is probably one of the most interesting and creative um solo artists at least of the last 20 years 30 years jesus christ i'm all, i keep thinking yeah. 20 years ago was 1990 and yeah. it really isn't so yeah um we did the sugar cube. We went through the sugar cubes. Um, she 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 moved on into a, a dance trip hop, interesting solo artist. Um, got very creative, more creative, bit too creative. And um, <laughs> and Nick, Nick, what did she do? She went from oh party Bjork to uh, arty Bjork. Is that, is that was that what I was being set up for there? Yeah, exactly. Can we, can we do another take of it? Sure, I'll edit this That's bit fine, out. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> Um, so, so first of all, Liam, thank you ever so much for all your hard work and all your contributions over the last few episodes. It's been a pleasure having you on, and hopefully you will come back at some point in the future. Thank you. It, honestly, it's been an absolute treat. It's been a, a really different thing uh, and far more professional than I'm used to, so I loved it. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, that, that not professional thing he's talking about is dancing about architecture. You can find it on beat.rehab. Um, it's 
it's <laughs> professional, I guess. Um, right. <laughs> Emily, Emily, thank you ever so much for coming back. It has been a pleasure as always. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Even even if none of you, except for me, like Volta, it's still been great. <laughs> uh, Nick, I hope you've uh, sobered up since watching England beat Croatia I'm this co- afternoon. Completely sober now. <laughs> got to start again. Um, and and you, dear listener, um, see you soon. Bye. 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 just about wraps up our three episodes on Björk and it only remains to say thank you and gently steer you towards the merch table. Thank you to Liam Maloney for your heartfelt album introductions and to Emily Baldoni for joining us as a guest. You can hear more of her on our past episodes about Love, Spoon and David Bowie whereas Liam can be found on the Dancing About Architecture podcast which is well worth listening to when you're all caught up with your temporary fandom's obligations. You'll find that on Beat Rehab. Thanks as ever to my ebullient co-host Ewan and to Jonathan Fisher for our theme music. This show exists on enthusiasm alone, yours as much as ours, and you can fuel that engine with likes, subscriptions, or a kind word on social media. That said, we do also take cash. So don't forget, you can also help keep the show running by subscribing to our Patreon, where all manner of perks are available. Check it out at patreon.com tempfans. We'll be back next week with another great band, Frankly, we're in no danger of running out of them. Until then, I'm Nick Hilditch. Like a mushroom on a tree trunk as the protein transmutates, I knock on your skin and I am in. <laughs>